The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. You may remain standing if you're able for the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. And if you'll make your way to verse 22, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, if you're visiting with us and don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the Pew Bible. Children, you can make your way to Children's Church just out to my left into the Children's Worship Center. You can have a wonderful time in God's Word and singing and teaching and praise as we together here will be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 in our last uh, study of the Advent series, Live Portraits from the Nativity. Now would you look with me in this wonderful text as we conclude our Advent series in verse 21. Uh, so I'll start there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice of what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's another way to say, waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping him with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of 
of Israel. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Well, um, I will confess to you that I have had. I just I've just had a great time in doing this Advent series, these live portraits and putting them in couplets. The angels, as they speak to Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, Mary and Joseph, wise men and shepherds, the up and inners, the down and outers, the Jew, the Gentile. And then, of course, uh, the two that are missed by many, and that is the spirit of God and the word of God that is constantly present in all of the nativity account. And now today, Anna and Simeon. You know, Luke is a historian. He's not only a doctor, he's a historian. In fact, we know that he's writing this gospel. We know that Luke is writing this gospel, having done research. We're told in the opening verses that he had interviewed, he had done research, he had talked to eyewitnesses. And it really shows up when he says things like three different times, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mary pondered these things. Well, how would you know that, that somebody pondered something unless you had talked to them? Now, of course, we know kind of probably when this happened, when Paul had been put in prison in Jerusalem and then transferred to Caesarea by the sea. It was over a two year period. And likely it's during that time that his companion Luke compiled the things that we've got in the Gospel of Luke. And then later, when his imprisonment in Rome is when he compiled what we know as the book of Acts. But he obviously did his research, and he's obviously writing, not only as a theologian, but he's also writing under the power of the Spirit of God as a historian. He's a meticulous historian. He does his research. Great writers, particularly if you're doing historical writing, always do painstaking research. Uh, you just, you have to immerse yourself. In the time, the context, the events. And that's what he's done. In fact, you'll notice that he says, um, he, you look at that verse 22. And at that time, now he keeps using on that day, at that time, he keeps letting you know something about this narrative. Notice, he doesn't say, once upon a time. This is not a myth. This is not a fable. This is a historian, historically, documenting things. And when you use a phrase like, at that time, he's telling you that what he is writing, this nativity narrative, he is telling you that this nativity narrative has a historical context, this, it has a biblical, theological context, and it has a personal context. It is a real historical document about real people 2,000 years ago making real life decisions in real time, in real moments, with real, uh, with real evaluations that they're taking place, that's taking place. For instance, we see the, his, the timing, don't we? Jesus has been born. And upon the eighth day, which would mean the seven days have now passed 
for him to be circumcised. And now he's been circumcised and named. You have a re- you have the New Testament version of that. Every time you see circumcision replaced by baptism and we go and we say, Father, name your child and the blessing. So Jesus has been not baptized. That's the new covenant side. But the old covenant sign circumcised and he has received his name that had been revealed by the angel to Joseph. Yeshua. God saves. So we know who this is. Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Yeshua, Jesus, God's with us to save us from our sins. So he's named him. But now we're past that eighth day. Now we've gone another 33 days. Now we've arrived at the 40th day. And he says, Mary, let me saddle up. I'm presupposing he got something to make sure she could ride the seven miles to Jerusalem. Now we have to go to the temple. And he says it four times. Luke says it four times in the text so you don't miss it. According to the law of the Lord. According to the custom of the law. According to God's law. He makes it abundantly clear God's word has settled what we do today on the 40th day after Jesus' birth. And that is, now you go from a historical context to a biblical context. It's Leviticus 12. Not only is he to be circumcised after the seventh day, but he is to be brought in consecration. And Leviticus 12 tells you exactly how to do it. You come into the temple, and when you come into the temple, you bring a lamb to sacrifice, to consecrate the firstborn of the family, the firstborn male child of the family. Or, if you're poor... You can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. What do they bring? What does that tell you? No, wait, let me say this again. What do they bring? It's in the, it's right there. Two turtle doves, two pigeons. They bring two birds. The offering of one who would have been considered poor. Now, the point's not to make an economic or political statement here. The point's just to let you know, Jesus didn't pick the rich in the palace. He was born in the stable to a, off, to a forgotten line of kings in uh, Mary and in uh, Joseph, who are of the, of the line of David, seed of Abraham, tribe of Judah. And so, but they're poor, which, by the way, tells you something else. Now, I'm doing a little speculation here. What else does it tell you? The kings haven't arrived yet. Because if the kings had arrived, what did they bring? Oh, they could have bought a flock of lambs. So likely the kings have not arrived yet. They come under, would have been classified that they could get the doves instead of the lamb. And then they arrive. And now we've got the personal element. We not only have the historical element, the timing of it, eighth day, 33 days later, 40th day, not only the biblical theological context, Leviticus 12, the consecration of the firstborn, having been obedient to the law concerning circumcision, now we're told we're given some personal insight. Who's going? Mary and Joseph from Bethlehem up to the temple. And so they have arrived to perform the custom of the law. And they meet two more people. 
Simeon and Anna, who arrive at the same time. Boy, wasn't that lucky. You see the sovereign hand of God? And you see the sovereign hand of God working in the lives of those who are being obedient to the word of God. And then they arrive. By the way, don't miss this. Do you see what Luke is doing? Luke is giving. This is the end of Luke's uh, nativity narrative with Simeon and Anna. Where did it begin? Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's framed the nativity with two couples, older couples, narratively. The aged Zechariah and Elizabeth, whom the angels visit to tell them the one that fulfills the prophecy of Elijah, John the Baptist, is going to be born to them. And then the one who will minister and make way for, for this one now comes to be consecrated in obedience to the law by Mary and Joseph. And now two and now the narrative concludes with another elderly couple, not married, but who both daily serve the Lord in their singleness in the temple. Having embraced that calling from the Lord. And so they framed it. But folks, there's something more than that I want you to see. I'm going to take just a moment to talk about Simeon and Anna. And then I'm going to give you a life takeaway. And in the life takeaway, there's two things I want you to see. One is Simeon and Anna become the opportunity for us to reaffirm a gospel dynamic about a saved life. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are people that are saved in this biblical narrative who have come to Christ. And who now are serving Christ. There's something that is common to each and every one of them. And Simeon and Anna become the exclamation point. So you don't miss this reaffirming, reoccurring statement that has been woven by the Spirit of God through the accounts of Matthew and Luke. Particularly Luke. And... Not only is there the reaffirming of something you must not miss in these narratives, these portraits of the nativity. There's something else in Simeon and Anna that's being affirmed that is directly related to why Jesus has come to save us. And you must not miss this one. Now, when I, to get there, let me just walk you through Simeon and Anna just a little bit. Simeon, it's amazing in these, what, these two paragraphs how much is packed into them biographically of these two people. I mean, it's amazing what Luke has been able to put in with an economy of words. What do we know about him? Here's what we know. Number one, we know this. Simeon is a Jew. You can tell that by his name. Likely, even from his name, my guess is he's probably of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin. More than likely. Simeon, he's a Jew. Secondly, he is from Jerusalem. He's a Jerusalemite. Thirdly, the text takes great pains to tell you he is righteous. 
That does not mean a self-righteousness whereby he is attempted to secure his own salvation through arrogance. No, no. We know that's not true. Why? Because it takes great pains in the text to tell us he is blessed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not lead you to work salvation and self-righteousness. The Spirit of God leads you to full dependence upon Christ and his righteousness. But... When you get saved by Christ's righteousness, then your heart desire out of love to Christ is to pursue holiness and righteousness. And so it's true of Simeon. That means he lives an intentional life, thus the word devout. The fourth thing it tells you is that he was devout. Here's a fifth thing it tells you. He had a special divine calling. Here was his call. God had chosen him to be a prophet with one singular ministry to affirm the Messiah when he came to the temple. That was his calling. That he was to keep watch for the consolation of Israel. He was to keep looking for. He was to be on the look. Can you think of how many days and years pass as he would come every day? Is this the day? Is this the day? That was his divine calling that God had called him to be the one at Temple Mount who would announce the Messiah when the glory of the Lord enters the temple. And that's Christ. Let me give you something else. Uh, Jew, he's a Jerusalemite, he's righteous, he's devout, he has a divine calling. Number six, he had a divine assurance. Here was his assurance. You will not die until you have fulfilled that calling. It's, do you hear the echo of Acts thirteen thirty six? Remember when, David, when Paul is preaching the sermon and he uses David as an illustration? And this is what he says in Acts thirteen thirty six. David, after he had served the purpose of God, fell asleep. After, I'm sorry. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers. In other words, when did David die? When he had served God's purpose. What did God tell Simeon? You're not going to die until you've served my purpose. And my purpose is you're the one I've chosen to announce his presence when he comes into the temple. The Bible tells us that we know not our time, (laughs) but Simeon at least knew when it wasn't his time. It wouldn't be his time until he had seen Jesus and held Jesus in his arms. Let me give you another one. He is, he recognized Jesus. Now, folks, don't just, I mean, well, Harry obviously recognized Jesus. That's the whole point of the text. Okay, but can you put yourself back? How many days has he been coming for this? Years, months, years. He's been coming. This is an aged man. This is not the first couple that's shown up to consecrate their firstborn. 
Why is it and how is it he knows this is Jesus? Folks, he knows this is Jesus the same way you know he is the Savior of your soul. The Spirit of God gave him eyes to see and ears to hear. The same Spirit that gave you a heart to come to Christ is the same Spirit that gave him the eyes and heart and ears to know this wasn't any couple, nor just any baby. And then that's reaffirmed by a seventh thing that you're told in the text. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible wants you to know this so pointedly that the Bible gives you the insight that he was filled with the Holy Spirit by making three comments about it. Number one, it says that the Holy Spirit was Upon him. That's the same language that's used when Jesus is anointed by the Spirit at his baptism when he begins his public ministry 30 years later. The Holy Spirit was upon him, was poured out upon him. Number two, the Holy Spirit had informed him, revealed to him. The Holy Spirit had given him divine revelation. So he was a prophet. He had given him divine revelation that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And then number three, that day the Holy Spirit led him to the temple and to Mary and Joseph. And the Spirit of God is the one who enabled him to know this is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. Here's something else you know about him. He's a teacher. We have no evidence he's a priest. In fact, the evidence would be against him being a priest. But he is a teacher because he does the ministry of a teacher. He blesses God. He gives the benediction of praise to God. And then he gives a benediction to Mary and Joseph. He blesses them. In fact, would you mind just looking with me? This is so important. Would you mind looking with me at the blessing he gives to God? Look with me uh, in uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 29. Lord, see the historian? Now, there's his word. There's the historian's word. Lord, now, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now, I can die. Why? God has fulfilled his word. He has seen the Savior, the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. And can I give you something else interesting? There are over 6,000 times God is referred to as Lord with two other words. There's only five times he is referred to in the Bible as Lord with this word. This is the word despotis. We get the word despot. It literally means unrivaled master. You can see his heart overflowing in subservience and surrender to the God of glory. Oh, master. Now, 
You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now I can go. Now I can die. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. And then he makes three comments about salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see what he's saying? He's saying this. Now I can depart. Why? The Messiah has come who is the Savior presented for all peoples, which means he's the only Savior for any people. There's not another plan. There's not another way. There's not another Savior. He is the Savior presented to all peoples. Because all peoples need a Savior, and all peoples here, there's one Savior. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That He has come to save you. Gentile, wise man. Jew, shepherd. Rich, wise man. Poor, shepherds. Up and inners, down and outers. All peoples. Secondly, the second blessing that he gives. The second blessing is this. He is a light to the Gentiles. That's why you who know Jesus are sitting here today. Because he is the light of salvation to the Gentiles. What God had promised Abraham has now come. Abraham, I'll give you a seed who will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Then... The third part of his blessing. See, I know Simeon was a Presbyterian minister. He's got three points. <laughs> Salvation to all peoples. A light to the Gentiles. Thirdly, and glory for your people, Israel. And brothers and sisters, I just it's on my heart, so I got to say it. Please. Do not be distracted with all of these notions that what we need to look for is a rebuilding of a temple, a reinstituting of sacrifices, a going back to Old Testament uh, offerings, sacrifices, etc. That's exactly the lie that Satan has sold. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Why did they reject him? He couldn't be the savior they wanted. Yet the one they rejected is said by Simeon to be the glory of his people, Israel. He's not one to be ashamed of. He is your glory, Israel. This is the one who fulfills all the offerings all the prophets, all the priests, all the kings, all the types, all the shadows, all the prophecies. We don't look to go back to the shadows. We want the gospel to go to the Jew first and to the Gentile that they would hear and no longer be deceived by Satan. Christ is your glory. 
He is the one who saves his people, Jew and Gentile, from all their sins. Then after he blesses them, he turns to Mary. Notice, by the way, look at what it says. Don't don't miss this. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine them sitting and listening to this sermon from this rabbi that pronounces this blessing? And then the rabbi turns to them and he blesses them. Behold this. And he blessed them. And he grants to them a word of benediction. What a glorious moment it must have been for them in that very moment. They have come in obedience to the law and the Spirit of God shows up with Simeon to bless their wandering souls. Now they marvel at what was said to them. But he hasn't finished. The rabbi hasn't finished. He's not only a rabbi teacher giving a blessing. He's a prophet who's given a sermon. Then he makes this prophetic word. This salvation is going to be costly. Look at what he says. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Not will be opposed, is opposed. You're about to show up in Bethlehem, the opposition with Herod coming to Bethlehem. He is opposed. Satan wants to devour the child and destroy the covenant people of God. He is appointed for the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary, you need to know that not only will this cost your son his life in the holy war against the enemies of God. Sin, death, hell, Satan and the grave. And he'll win the victory with his death. And his resurrection. And the sword will even pierce your own soul and heart. And that's not only him, but now you've got Anna. Here's Anna. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. Here, we've already read it, so I don't have time. I'm not going to read over it. But what do you find out? Look at this jam-packed. She's also a Jew. Secondly, she is the daughter of Phanuel. Thirdly, this is a woman who was now 84 years old. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't practice chronological snobbery? It's not just all about the youth, but the aged are honored. And then, not only that, it is said that she when she was preparing for marriage, was biblically faithful. She was a virgin. Think maybe that's one of the reasons that God the Spirit has Anna with Mary, the virgin, who has given birth. And with her right now, when she is about to go through the rites of purification. Just the right counselor by the Spirit of God has been brought to her. And there she is. She's not only uh, she's not only and then not only is she so fit for ministry, but she's an attendant to the temple with all of its ministries. And she, too, is a prophetess. In fact, that's only mentioned six times in the Bible. She's one of the six that's mentioned in the Bible. And then notice what it says. Don't miss this. And coming up at that very hour. 
The Holy Spirit is always on time. At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all. In other words, Anna had come to Briarwood and heard about everyone evangelizing everybody everywhere every day. That's a joke. But please take it seriously. She gave the good news of great joy to all who were there while she was praising God. Well, brothers and sisters, I, I promised I'd try to keep us timely today. So let me let me just go immediately to the text. Remember what I said? Luke has something he's reaffirming and then something he's affirming. What is he reaffirming? Here's what he's reaffirming. Salvation experiences with God and from God come as we obey the word of God in the power of the spirit of God by the grace of God. In other words, God's relentless, unmerited favor and grace as it searches us out, brings us, now watch, brings us to experience salvation in Christ by two means of grace, the word of God and the spirit of God. Everybody that we've studied got to Jesus by the word of God. Everyone that came to Jesus came because the word of God brought them to Jesus. And Zechariah, Elizabeth, shepherds, wise men, Mary, Joseph, uh, Simeon, Anna were filled with the spirit. Because it's only by the spirit of God you'll profit from the word of God. So with the word of God guiding them, the spirit of God empowering them, the grace of God brings them to the son of God and glorious experiences. Notice everybody that gets to Jesus when they go away for Jesus are changed. And everybody that goes away changed. Everyone that comes to Jesus comes by the word of God, the spirit of God. And as they depart for Jesus, they're all led by the word of God and the spirit of God. And they're always doing the same two things. They're worshiping God and witnessing for God. They're praising God and they're telling others of Jesus. There's your marks. There's the marks of true spirituality. We keep talking about, I want spiritual, I want to be spiritual. The marks of true spirituality is a devotion to worship God in spirit and in truth and to tell the truth about God in the spirit to the lost. Those are the marks of true spirituality. And that when that guides you, all kinds of experiences. You see, Mary, Mary and Joseph didn't get up on that 40th day and say, you know, I just need an experience with God. Things are going tough. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, we've been in a stable. We've given birth. And, oh, Joseph, what are we going to do? Now, I don't know whether it took place this way or not. But I can imagine Joseph saying, well, Mary... We're going to do what the Bible tells us to do. We're going to go to the temple and we're going to consecrate him. And what did God have ready for them in their obedience to God's word? The blessing of Simeon and Anna for them. They didn't go looking for Simeon and Anna. They went in obedience to the word of God by the spirit of God. 
And the same God that brought them there brought Simeon and Anna to bless their souls. You see, most professing Christians are looking for experiences from God to determine, are you going to obey God? What is abundantly clear in these portraits is God's got glorious experiences. But it's not the experiences that send us to obedience. It is the grace of God through the means of grace, the word of God and the spirit of God that bring us to Jesus. Then comes God's appointed experiences to bless, to save, to sanctify, to encourage, to convict and to console. That's what happens. But I also said, I just... Okay, I confess. Let me just confess. This is my heart for you. That you will have a hunger for God's word. And that you will be surrendered to God's spirit. And it will show up with a desire to praise him. And a relentless commitment to tell others about him. But I have another great concern for you. And that is, you're ready to meet him. This last couple of weeks, I do what I try to do every holiday season, Easter and Christmas, and so wonderfully supported with our staff. And I just go through who's sick, who's facing eternity. Who's in a fight for their life or who maybe mostly would be older folks, particularly some of our founding members. And then who are some of our younger folks, your brothers or sisters and your parents. And we try to we try to do this every week. I'm so grateful for the leadership of Mark Cushman. But we try to do it in particular on these weeks where it's so feelings are so raw. And so that's what we've been doing. Would you like to know how many I've been to? I don't want to tell you. But would you like to know what I get a chance to hear? Pastor, thank you for coming. But I want you to know my mama was ready. Oh, really? How do you know? Oh, listen, let me tell you about her commitment to Christ. Now I know she was ready. My brother, he was ready. Would you like to know how many times I hear that and just rejoice? Or, Pastor, thank you. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been liberated by the redeeming hand of Christ from the bondage of sin, its guilt, its shame, and free from the fear of death. Now, I'm ready to depart. I've seen my Savior. By faith, I have seen him and held him close to my heart. With the saving grace that comes by his spirit and his word. All that language comes from this text. Simeon said, Now I'm ready.
I have seen thy salvation. The glory of Israel. The light to the nations. And he is mine. And I am his. You will never be ready to die and meet Christ. Until you have died to yourself and received Christ. You're ready to die when Christ has become your life. And so he was ready. Man knows not his time. Are you ready? You have an appointment. My guess is, my guess is, how many times did was this said this morning? At uh, this morning, honey, are you ready? Or maybe it was, honey, are you ready? Or, honey, are you ready? Or how many times did I hear the last couple of weeks, Pastor, are you ready for Christmas? Ready? Webster's is to means fully prepared. For an appointed event. It's appointed unto men once to die and then to judgment. Are you ready? Are you ready by having received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is it well with your soul? My heart goes out for everything your body faces in the sin-cursed world. But what I want to know, is it well with your soul? Are you ready? Is Christ yours? And are you, and are you His? My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole. He's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now I'm ready. O Lord, haste. The day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well. With my soul. Are you ready? Let's pray. I'm just going to let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. If you're ready to meet Jesus, then you're ready in this life to worship Him and bear witness of Him. By the grace of God, through the means of grace, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Follow Simeon and Anna. 
praising God before the people and telling all the people of the Redeemer of his people, Jesus. But today, you have heard that this Jesus has come with good news of great joy to save you from your sins. It's appointed to die. Then the judgment. Are you ready? He is ready to receive you. You may hold him in your arms by faith. Because he will hold you in the arms of righteousness and redemption. Are you ready? You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.